Hello, my dearest Hegelians. I'm here not with philosophy necessarily, um, but with spirituality and religion, specifically the Vedic religion. I thought I might take a few of the opportunities for episodes to kind of explore texts from my actual background. As you know, I'm doing an independent study in philosophy, but my background is religion. So cozy up with some hot Earl Grey or a latte and, and let's listen in to, to some of the wisdom that the Upanishads provides. Have you ever read the Upanishads? My edition that I have is The Breath of the Eternal, The Wisdom of the Hindu Mystics, and it's translated from the original Sanskrit. Obviously, let's see what else I can tell you about this little edition that I have, which I think is quite nice. It's Signet Classics. It's a kind of a small little golden colored book with a really beautiful artistic painting on the front. So the Upanishads, some of you probably know this already, they are comprised of the oldest scriptures of India. Um, You might know some of the Vedas, right? Like the Rig Veda. So the literal meaning of Upanishad, though, is sitting near devotedly. So it's about knowledge that destroys ignorance and leads to freedom, which I feel like we could all use. Sometimes I chant this one beautiful message that asks that I may be led from untruth to truth, from darkness to light. And from death to immortality. And I think it's a really lovely idea. So it's not really known how many Upanishads existed, but 108 have been, um, you know, discovered and, and, and kept. So we're not sure who wrote them. Um, or necessarily when they were written exactly. But of these 108 Upanishads, 16, about 16, um, are recognized by one sage as authentic and authoritative. So, That said, there are usually 10, though, that are regarded as the principal Upanishads, and I think that those 
are the 10 that, that appear in this edition that I have. So I thought that we could together look at one of the Upanishads and see what we think about it. Um, at least one. And the one that I think I'm going to read, we shall read it together, I haven't read it in a while, is the Isha. So it starts out by saying this. In the heart of all things, of whatever there is in the universe, dwells the Lord. He alone is the reality. Wherefore, renouncing vain appearances, rejoice in him. Covet no man's wealth. Well may he be content to live a hundred years, who acts without attachment, who works his work with earnestness, but without desire, not yearning for its fruits, he and he alone. This is really interesting because it kind of reminds me of Nietzsche and the original problem that he wants to solve by the eternal return. He says that, you know, human beings aren't very good at crafting lives that they would want to revisit again and again. Some moments we might, but if we had to eternally return to our lives and relive every single moment, Nietzsche says that most of us would probably be horrified by that, right? And so, and so he says, you know, you should believe that this is going to be the case and you should start living your life and crafting your world in a way that is so delicious that you'd want to return to it. But Nietzsche doesn't give us guidance on the specifics of that. But this Upanishad is, is suggesting something, right? Saying, well may he be content to live a hundred years who acts without attachment. So there's this idea that I think shows up in Buddhism, shows up in Stoicism, talking about just kind of being without attachment. Worlds that are without suns, covered up with darkness. To these after death go the ignorant, slayers of the self. Isn't that lovely? I mean, just this poetic sort of translation. I wonder what it is in the Sanskrit. Slayers of the self. And that self with a capital S. The self, again, with a capital S, is one. Unmoving, it moves swifter than thought. The senses do not overtake it, for always it goes before. Remaining still, it outstrips all that run. Without the self, there is no life. 
So that's kind of interesting. If we want to access the self. So even though it's unmoving, it moves swifter than thought. So I guess that's kind of support for calming our minds, calming our thoughts. And if our senses are feeling sort of overbearing, then we can rest assured that the self, the senses do not overtake it. To the ignorant, the self appears to move, yet it moves not. From the ignorant, it is far distant, yet it is near. It is within all, and it is without all. So, in a sense, this says to me that we don't have to try to run after it or seek it or struggle, that it's closer than we think. He who sees all beings in the self and the self in all hates none. I love this because this reminds me of a theory that I came up with years and years ago about everyone being a version of everyone else and it's true for instance if you know you're a young person and you see an older person kind of struggling to walk along you know instead of thinking being so separated from that person and thinking oh i'm going to pity that person i i'm i have fear that i'm going to become that person i you know, want to run from age and, and death and sickness. But instead, looking at that older person and believing that that, that is us, that's the older version of ourself, maybe we would have this, this deep love, this deep sort of compassion and interest that doesn't rob one of one's dignity, but still upholds, you know, the situation and the reality of what we all must come to if we should live that long. To the illumined soul, the self is all. For him who sees everywhere oneness, how can there be delusion or grief? So from this, I kind of think that it's, you know, it's possible because when we have when we grieve when we fear when we have the delusion of you know entitlement for keeping ourselves safe if we think of ourselves as a part of everything then you know we shouldn't be afraid of our own destruction and at the same time we're not alone because we are a part of the whole. The self is everywhere, bright is he, bodiless, without seer of imperfection, without bone, without flesh, pure, untouched by evil. The seer, the thinker, the one who is above all, the self-existent. He it is that has established perfect order among objects and beings from beginningless time. 
To darkness they are doomed who devote themselves only to life in the world, and to a greater darkness they who devote themselves only to meditation. Isn't that surprising, right? Because we, I think that we think about, in the Western world at least, meditation as this tool to higher consciousness and enlightenment. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could sweep away distractions and completely devote all our hours to meditating? You know, how much more would we be ourselves and gain from that? But this kind of, I guess, points to the need for to go beyond superficiality, which is often unavoidable in the extremes. Life in the world alone leads to one result. Meditation alone leads to another. So have we heard from the wise? They who devote themselves both to life in the world and to meditation, by life in the world overcome death, and by meditation achieve immortality. So I love the holistic vision that this gives. To darkness are they doomed who worship only the body, and to greater darkness they who worship only the spirit. Worship of the body alone leads to one result. Worship of the spirit leads to another. So have we heard from the wise. So I love how this doesn't denigrate the body, that it finds value in sort of these dualistic oppositions. The face of truth is hidden by the golden, by thy golden orb, O sun, that do thou remove in order that I who am devoted to truth may behold its glory. O nourisher, only seer, controller of all, O illuminating sun, fountain of life for all creatures, withhold thy light, gather together thy rays, May I behold through thy grace thy most blessed form, the being that dwells therein, even that being am I. And so, in this translation, it's being with a capital B. I mean, what connections can we make, for instance, to Heidegger or Sartre? Let my life now merge in the all-pervading life. Ashes are my body's end. O mind, remember Brahman. O mind, remember thy past deeds. Remember Brahman, remember thy past deeds. O God Agni, lead us to felicity. And Agni is the sun, the sun god, or connected to fire and light. Preserve us from the deceitful attraction of sin. To thee we offer our salutations again and yet again.
I think this would really be lovely um, to meditate on and to sort of repeat and recite. So the sun symbolizes the self or Brahman, and this is pretty typical in the Vedas. So the golden orb um, is the world of appearance or Maya. That's how we can read that. And so the last um, couple of verses, it, we can kind of think of it as a prayer, maybe even uttered at the moment of death. Sometimes it is used by those who follow Hinduism um, in funeral rites. And why should we remember our past deeds? It could be because these are the deeds that whatever we remember accompanies us and our departing soul and helps the universe determine our nature and our circumstances and our world in our next incarnation. And the sort of reference to Agni makes sense because, um, you know, if you think about how cremation involves fire, and so, you know, a lot of times in, at least in Hinduism, um, you know, all the gods are kind of avatars or aspects of Brahman. So Agni here is, is also a symbol, as well as just Agni. And, um, you know, himself. So thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this rather short Upanishad. Thank you for listening with me. I would like to devote some of my day, um, every day to spirituality or kind of life-giving philosophy. And so I might be doing these more often and I will for sure um, give respect and honor to all the religions that are represented on my bookcase. Thank you, be well, and have a lovely day or night. In the heart of all things, of whatever there is in the universe, dwells the Lord. He alone is the reality. Wherefore, renouncing vain appearances, rejoice in him. Covet no man's wealth. Well may he be content to live a hundred years who acts without attachment, who works his work with earnestness but without desire, not yearning for its fruits, he and he alone. Worlds there are without suns, covered up with darkness. To these, after death, go the ignorant slayers of the self. The self is one, unmoving, it moves swifter than thought. 
The senses do not overtake it, for always it goes before. Remaining still, it outstrips all that run. Without the self, there is no life. To the ignorant, the self appears to move, yet it moves not. From the ignorant, it is far distant, yet it is near. It is within all, and it is without all. He who sees all beings in the self, and the self in all beings, hates none. To the illumined soul, the self is all. For him who sees everywhere oneness, how can there be delusion or grief? The self is everywhere, bright he is, bodiless, without scar of imperfection, without bone, without flesh, pure, untouched by evil. The seer, the thinker, the one who is above all, the self-existent, he it is that has established perfect order among objects and beings from beginningless time. To darkness are they doomed who devote themselves only to life in the world. And to a greater darkness they who devote themselves only to meditation. Life in the world alone leads to one result. Meditation alone leads to another. So have we heard from the wise. They who devote themselves both to life in the world and to meditation, by life in the world overcome death, and by meditation achieve immortality. To darkness are they doomed who worship only the body, and to greater darkness they who worship only the spirit. Worship of the body alone leads to one result. Worship of the spirit leads to another. So have we heard from the wise. They who worship both the body and the spirit by the body overcome death and by the spirit achieve immortality. The face of truth is hidden by the golden orb, O sun, that do thou remove, in order that I, who am devoted to truth, may behold its glory. O nourisher, O seer, controller of all, O illuminating sun, fountain of life for all creatures, withhold thy light, gather together thy rays, may I behold through thy grace thy most blessed form, the being that dwells therein, even that being am I. Let my life now merge in the all-pervading life. Ashes are my body's end. O mind, remember Brahman. O mind, remember thy past deeds. Remember Brahman, remember thy past deeds. O God Agni, lead us to felicity. Thou knowest all our deeds. Preserve us from the deceitful attraction of sin. To thee we offer our salutations again and yet 